Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your best and worst of the weekend phone calls in a little bit. Mac Brown, head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Will they go bowling or not? That'll be determined when the Heels visit NC State on Saturday. We'll be there with the big tailgate tour. Coach Brown joins us live in about 40 minutes. One of our favorites on the NFL joins us live now. He is the voice of the Carolina Panthers, for that matter. He used to be one of the voices on a lot of Mac Brown Part 1 games in Chapel Hill before he took that play-by-play -play job at the NFL level. Mick Mixon, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Not sure Coach Brown will remember me, but tell him <laughs> Mick said to say what's up and, um, and congratulations on a great start. Um, I'm doing good, DG. I hope you're doing well. I'm talking to you now from the stadium. I just ducked into a uh, our, actually, I'm in mean, our radio broadcast booth for home games to find a quiet place to talk on your show. Cool. I appreciate you doing that. Ron Rivera met with the media earlier. I assume that was one of your responsibilities. What was uh, an eye-opening or meaningful takeaway for you? Just came from there. Yeah, he said, uh, he told the press corps that the Panthers just didn't really start quickly enough for by, by his metric. It was 14 nothing Saints dome going crazy but then the Panthers did some some nice things got some bad run fits tightened up defensively got um, Kyle Allen going Kyle Allen was clean very efficient uh, McCaffrey does what McCaffrey likes to do patchwork O-line held up it just breaks your heart though DG yeah. I mean the Panthers had it first and goal from the two yard line first and goal from the two at 31 all chance to just, I mean, quiet the crowd, just send them all out to the French Quarter, send them all back to Metairie, Kenner, wherever they came from with a loss, and, and the Panthers could, could not close the deal. As you know, and we're talking about everything you just mentioned. I mean, not only that, but Trey Boston with the big interception, Eric Reed with 15 tackles, and just a fantastic fourth down stop that could have ended up being a pivotal play. Olsen had a solid game. DJ Moore was great. You mentioned Kyle Allen and Christian McCaffrey, and yet you know the name being discussed most is the undrafted free agent kicker out of Virginia Tech, Joey Sly. He's an easy-to-root-for guy with a compelling story, but you know the numbers here. There had been 233 straight field goal attempts that were successful at the NFL level from 28 yards or shorter, dating to the middle of last year. Uh, there was a flying Saints player complicating his last attempt, but uh, what can you tell us? I know he owned it after the game. What, what, does, what did Ron Rivera say about the future of the kicking position with, of course, Graham Gano still injured? Uh, but what did Joey Sly say besides, I feel terrible, it's on me, I own what just happened, etc.? I felt for him. I, I mean, I, I, I was talking to some friends of mine earlier today, DG, and I said, I think if Joey Sly could have hitchhiked home uh, got a Uber, yeah. a bus ticket, Greyhound, anything. He, I mean, just for him to have to even get on the buses, five buses that take us to the airport, we get on one plane. You know, Joey Sly didn't want to meet anybody's gaze. I'm sure he had some some very dark places that that game and his performance in the game took him to. But this isn't high school football. This isn't college ball. This is the National Football League. It is pay for play. It's performance-based grown men and a lot 
a lot depending on on guys like Joey Sly. So right now, as I talk to you right now, he's still I think he's still down there in the locker room, and the team was lifting weights today and getting treatment. But I th- Coach Rivera was asked, Dave, if, if the Panthers are going to audition some kickers, and he said, we'll see. We'll see moving forward. Mick Mixon is joining us, the voice of the Carolina Panthers. There was one transaction to come out of the weekend. Backup safety and special teams guy Rashawn Golden had a little bit of a reputation as a knucklehead in college, and I think the Panthers thought he'd be able to overcome that. He was waived today after being a part of a turnover against uh, – or, or over the weekend, and what else do you know about that story? Because, um, you know, a, a transaction this late in November sometimes is about more than just you made a bad play. Mm, yeah, I think so. I, I, what I know about Golden, if I just talk about what I know about, to your question, he was a big story going into training camp. He had yep. had, had – uh, the story was he had improved, he had – uh, he had uh, gotten stronger, faster, added some good weight. He was going to be one of the starting safeties or at least had a great shot at this being his time to flame on. Uh, I think – and then, then he had a preseason game where he didn't go on the trip. I think he got into some – his headspace got a little a little noisy. I don't know if he's got people from his hometown or old – friends telling him man they're not using you right or this or that or you know just I don't really know about what's between his left ear and his right ear but just the game yesterday where he has he's in he's in DJ Moore's way knocks DJ Moore down the ball hits him Saints turnover leads to points he almost did it again on another punt and then he has a couple of punches that he throws in a melee that that's probably enough right there to get to, to get a team to decide they want to part company with you if, if, you're, if you haven't been a productive player on the field previously. Well put. Mick Mixon joining us, the voice of the Carolina Panthers. I don't know if you were there when David Tepper, the Panthers owner, had a relatively rare media session, but if not, I'm sure you've digested it. The bottom line, I guess, from Tepper was he's not going to tolerate long-term mediocrity in anything he does, including his Carolina Panthers. And he did say, I'm not going to answer anything about Ron Rivera or Marty Herney's futures. But out of all the questions he did answer, out of all the things that he did say, what struck you uh, as a guy who's gotten to know him at least a little bit over these last couple of years? That, that impromptu press conference was metaphoric for my life because it happened about 65 feet from my office, but I didn't know about it. <laughs> but the doors swing open, and there's all these media people, and there's David Tepper, and I'm kind of going, guys, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, testing, mixing, M-I-X-O-N, down the hall, getting coffee. Is there anything, you know, and y'all need my help with anything, or is there anything I need to know about? But uh, what I learned from it in the aftermath, I talked to Max Henson from uh, our staff, Panthers.com. He was kind enough to say, yeah, Mick, it was, it was uh, we just got it up, and sorry we would have, you know, we would have called you, but it just kind of <laughs> happened. But um, that David Tepper basically said, as you just stated, DG, he said that he's not going to stand for long-term mediocrity. I said to Max, is there anyone who thinks that he would stand for long-term mediocrity? Yeah. And and uh, Max said no, but he just wanted, I think, just wanted to get that above ground. Coach Rivera was asked about it the, a day or two later. Coach said, I like hearing that from my owner. He says, on the football side, we feel exactly the same way. In the New Orleans game, there were a couple of scary-looking injuries. Uh, I don't know if you have all the medical info, but Don Terry Poe on the defensive line, Greg Van Roten on the offensive line, uh, do not sound like they're going to be back soon. Is that fair to say? 
I think so, DG. Yeah, Coach Rivera doesn't talk about injuries Monday. He waits till Wednesday. But but even run through that filter, he did say, I mean, coming out of his own mouth was that there is a lot of concern about those two linemen and and, and worries that, that possibly the, the injuries are not just sprains or strains. I know Ron Rivera said today, believe it or not, we're still mathematically alive. Uh, how do you describe just the tone of this team, whatever you observed from them after that devastating defeat? It is Washington at home this week. Uh, it is at Atlanta after that. I mean, those theoretically are very winnable games, but uh, where do you think the Panthers' heads are right now? Because, you know, they're smart enough to know that while not mathematically eliminated, this has become an extreme uphill battle. Yeah, I don't know, DG. If you and I were in the same city and we were going to lunch, a late lunch after you get off your shift or we were going to meet up for a beverage to stay hydrated tonight, I'd ask you the same thing. I'd yeah. say, here, here's where I am on it. On one hand, it's I, this looks like a talented team. This looks like a collection of players that should be better than where yeah. the team is right now from 5-3 and three to 5-6. To and, and six. But then on the other hand, I say, well, but you don't have Cam Newton. You don't have K.K. Short. You don't have Graham Gano. You've got rookie O-linemen being moved from this position to that position, from the left side to the right side. Are we expecting too much of this club? What do you think? It's a, it's a fascinating question. I, I agree with everything you just said, and, and I'll ask you if you agree with this. When I look at pick a number, you know, the, the top eight teams, let's say, I don't think the Panthers right now – you know, who's healthy and how they're playing. They're just not in the same league as, you know, Patriots, Ravens, 49ers, Saints, although they just pushed them to the wire. Vikings, Chiefs, Seahawks, I don't know, maybe Packers. You know, the top eight, the Panthers aren't ready for right now. But the Panthers are a lot better than, say, the bottom eight. I mean, I'd rather be the Panthers by a lot than Washington, Cincinnati, the Giants, Miami, Arizona, Detroit, Denver, Atlanta, and a few others. And it feels like the Panthers are kind of right where they were predicted to be, even with all these missing key players. Nobody knew Cam Newton was only going to play twice and wouldn't even be himself for those two. In, in August, the number one prediction about the Panthers, if you, if you got an aggregate of all predictions, was that they were like somewhere in that 12 to 15 range. You know, not great, but not bad. And, and they're just a good team with a promise to be better than that. And, of course, the promise has not unfolded that way. But I, if I'm David Tepper, I still look at my roster as middle of the NFL, where if you stay healthy and you win your close games, you're a playoff team. And if you get beat up and lose your close games, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah, I kind of see it the same way. And I think it's not a dumpster fire. It's, right. not, uh, it's not, you know, hit the reject button, blow it up. Look, I can't wait to get these five games in December gone so we can start looking at the 2020 Carolina Panthers. It's not that at all. But nor is it a juggernaut with uh, easy answers to vexing questions. I think that this is, to me, the Panthers are a more interesting Fortune 500 company than Apple, General Motors, uh, Exxon, McDonald's, uh, uh, Amazon. I mean, this is a fascinating crossroads. What What will become of this coaching staff? What do you do with Cam Newton at age 30? How will these last five games play out? I mean, to me, it's just so, so interesting. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Last thing for you, Mick Mixon, voice of the Carolina Panthers. It feels like the conventional wisdom is that 
Well, David Tepper mentioned, I don't know what Cam's future is until I see Cam healthy again. Now, we have, we have no idea when that is going to be, right? Although Tepper added, my ideal scenario is a healthy Cam Newton leading my Carolina Panthers all the way, you know, back to the Super Bowl or whatever. But I read an article by Michael Lombardi uh, at The Athletic, former NFL front office guy. And his point was, the way it usually works in the NFL you can't make your decision about your quarterback or many other things until you make a decision about your head coach and your general manager. It feels like a weird timetable, right? Like, do you have a sense of what domino falls first? Could David Tepper, is he likely to make a decision on Ron Rivera and Marty Herney prior to having an answer about the health of Cam Newton? You see what I mean? It just feels like a weird sequence of events this time. It does. I know. It's part of why I say this is a fascinating story. It, it's a chicken, egg. What? What do you? What kind, would you? I think to your. I think what you're trying to say is let's just say that you end up searching for a coach. Let's say that's the way yeah. it goes. And I'm not predicting anything. Right. But if it does, then we do you do you hardship your coaching search, particularly if you go offensive guy. If you say we love you, we want you, we, you got a free reign. But oh, by the way, here's your <laughs> Mark, yeah. here's your quarterback. Right. Yeah. Or would it be better to try to get value for Cam Newton and then have a coach be able to come in and be able to put his own chess pieces on the board, either through the draft, through free agency, or whatever? Man, I love Ron Rivera. I respect the heck out of him. I think he's the best coach in the history of the Carolina Panthers. If I'm David Tepper, I, I feel a big fork in the road coming. I, I, and we don't have to revisit that until later this season, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, they're all tied together, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those that no matter how it turns out, I'm going to thank Ron Rivera for representing this organization with class and dignity and, and a lot of success on the field as well. That's perfectly said. I feel the same way. I, I mean, it's hard not to look at it selfishly. You know, the Panthers, you, you want to win. You know, we want to sign our radio network on, and, and you want to, at the very end of it, you want to say, you know, with the happy total from Bank of America Stadium, Panthers 42, enemy zero. But Coach Rivera has taken us to a Super Bowl. He it, it almost brought absolute victory to the Carolinas. It may yet still. And whenever I sit down to interview him, he never ducks a microphone. He's never he's never in a bad mood. He always asks me how my wife is. He asks me how you know how where'd I get this necktie? And I mean, he's just a great guy. He's a great guy as well. His name is Mick Mix, and he is the voice of the Carolina Panthers. Thanks for dropping by, my friend. Keep up the good work. Great hearing your voice, DG. Thanks for the visit. Right back at you. Mac Brown, North Carolina Tar Heels head coach. That's part two in his case. He built a monster of a program in the 1990s, and after winning the national championship during his time with the Texas Longhorns, he is back. Mac is back in Chapel Hill, and with a win Saturday at NC State, the Tar Heels would be bowl eligible in Mac Brown Part 2's first season. Mac is back. We'll drop by in less than 30 minutes. We're coming back to your statewide phone calls on the other side. David is in Wilmington. Gary's in Wilson. Sean is in the Triangle. Others are calling to our west. You can chime in with your question or comment. You can chime in with your best or worst of the weekend. It's a simple question as we come at you live in almost 300 North Carolina cities and towns every Monday afternoon. What was the best thing you saw in the sports weekend that was and why? What was the worst thing you saw and why? 
For some, it was a heavyweight boxing match. For others, a lot of NFL and college football. Still more, the NBA or college basketball. The Carolina Hurricanes went 2-0 this weekend. That was nice to see on the hockey ice because the Panthers, of course, lost, and the Hornets of the NBA went 0-2. Ohio State and Georgia nationally were joined by a lot of teams in or near our backyard as college football's best of the weekend. The worst of the weekend included Oregon, Boston College, NC State, the Miami Hurricanes, and more. You can jump in with your college, pro, or other best or worst of the weekend. The Niners, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Saints, and the Jets were best of the weekend. Indeed, New York has won three straight, including yesterday against a Raiders team that had been battling for playoff position out west. The Panthers, of course, kicker Joey Sly, easy to love guy, easy to celebrate story, but no doubt about it, one of the worst of the weekend. Two missed PATs and a missed 28-yard field goal with less than two minutes to go. As bad a regular season day as you will ever see for an NFL kicker. He does remain a Panther as we speak, although Ron Rivera left the door cracked to audition others at that position as the season moves on. 1-800-849-2761. What was the best thing you saw and why? What was the worst thing you saw this weekend and why? We're coming right back to your calls and my thoughts on the weekend that was. 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Hey, you can hear me? That's a bad white boy. Most skilled white dude in NFL history. Yeah, I said it. Hands down, I said it. Man, white boy right there, yeah. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. That was Gerald McCoy, defensive lineman for your Carolina Panthers. Describing the baddest white boy in NFL history, he would mean that Christian McCaffrey guy. He sees him every day in practice. He's glad on he, he's on his team nowadays. McCaffrey was very good again. Kyle Allen was actually very good against the Saints. D.J. Moore was really good. Greg Olson had a good game. But the defense gave up about six yards per carry. Again, run defense an issue. No K.K. short because of a longer-term injury. Dontari Poe, another run stopper, left early in that game against New Orleans yesterday. Drew Brees got his 300 yards and his three TDs. Michael Thomas got his 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. Six yards per carry, of course, will get you into trouble. But we all know it came down to, among other things, Will Lutz hit his 33-yard field goal as time expired for the win, 34-31 New Orleans over Carolina. Saints improved to 9-2. and two. And Joey Sly had about as bad a day as you'll ever see in the NFL. He missed two PATs. NFL kickers make them 95% of the time. And he missed a 28-yard field goal with two minutes to go. There had been 233 consecutive makes by all NFL kickers combined on field goals of 28 yards or shorter. Joey Sly at the wrong time against the wrong opponent on a team that was hanging by a thread to begin with, missed that kick and those PATs. He's kind of the goat of the weekend, the bad kind, and certainly a top vote-getter for worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761. Some are criticizing Jason Garrett for not going for it on that fourth down 
at New England. Cowboys end up losing. Jerry Jones, in part, took it out on his 10th-year head coach, Jason Garrett. Some didn't like Dwayne Haskins taking selfies rather than the final snap for Washington as the rookie QB got his first win at that level. There were all sorts of other worst of the weekend. Falcons, Broncos, Giants, Bengals. They still don't have a win, the Bengals. Dolphins, Lions, Jaguars, and others. You can jump in best or worst of the weekend. The Saints, the Seahawks, the Patriots, the 49ers, and the lowly Jets were among those from the NFL. The Buckeyes of Ohio State, the Bulldogs of Georgia, joined a bunch of teams closer to our backyard on the best of the weekend. David in Wilmington is next by phone. Mac Brown joins us live in less than 20 minutes on the David Glenn Show. The Tar Heel head coach is bringing his team to Raleigh to take on the rival Wolfpack. David, welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Go right ahead. Well, my best of the weekend is actually going to be Mac Brown. I mean, full disclosure, I'm a longtime Clemson fan. Uh, go Tigers. <laughs> but I tell you, Matt came, you know, and he was, he, he was ready for the Tigers. He got the team ready for the Tigers, and we were a play short of going to the Orange Bowl instead of the playoffs. So, yeah, you're you know, not kidding. That was a 21-20 game, for those who forget, and the only close game Clemson has played all season. And it's all Matt Brown. I mean, what he's done there this year is amazing. The more I hear the man speak, the more I admire him and, and respect him, and, and I, I just think he's a class act. I just wanted to tell you guys, I think he's the best of the week. We'll pass that what along to Mac when he drops by in about 15 minutes. Go ahead with your worst of the weekend or, or other best, whatever you got. My, my worst is the Cleveland Browns fans. They pulled up a pinata of a Pittsburgh player. You, you know the, the incident with the helmet. Of course, Miles Garrett, six-game suspension at least. Yep. At least. And they're talking about someone said that he may be back this year. And I'm like, he shouldn't be back this year. I mean, that's assault with a deadly weapon. I mean, the man's thinking a helmet, what, an eight-pound helmet at a ball. Yeah. This guy's got no helmet on. He's not coming back this year. He may be back yeah. for the opener next year. But it was, for those who think, you, you as you do, and I agree with you, is, is, is extreme and needed to be punished that way. It is the longest suspension for a single on-field incident in the history of the NFL. It was extremely dangerous what he did. And... Then the Cleveland fans make a pinata of a Pittsburgh player and use a helmet to swing at the pinata. I, I saw mean, talk that. Talk about total lack of class. I saw that. It's kind of like at the little kid's birthday party. You know, the, the person swinging at the pinata is blindfolded. I was actually worried that the crazy people swinging the Steelers' helmet were going to accidentally hit innocent bystanders. If you look at the video, I don't know, class or not, I mean, is it, is it funny or is it obnoxious? Everybody draws that line into a different place. I actually thought somebody was going to get hurt because you're right. Helmets don't feel good if they hit your unprotected head. Uh, and that's what got it, Miles Garrett into big trouble. I thought we were going to end up with an incident in the parking lots outside the Brown Stadium. Appreciate you playing, David. I got to take a break because Mac Brown's coming in about 15 minutes. We can get more of your calls in on the other side. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that we have a lot of love for the carolina hurricanes we have a lot of disappointment among panthers and hornets fans and we have a lot of college and pro football to digest good and bad you can be next at 1-800-849-2761 shane battier deontay wilder and others made the best of the weekend list a little bit further off the beaten trail worst of the weekend is all over the place but joey sly is on it as are the Oregon Ducks, Boston College, Steve Adazio's future may be hanging in the balance. They not only lost at Notre Dame, they got crushed 40-7 to by the Fighting Irish. The Eagles need to beat Pitt on the road this week just to make a bowl game. And Steve Adazio is in his seventh year at Boston College, has never won more than seven games in a single season. Will BC join Florida State and Arkansas and Rutgers 
as Power 5 vacancies. We will see. NC State and Miami also had brutal, disappointing losses. The Wolfpack at Atlanta against Georgia Tech. Miami lost to cross-down Crosstown rival Florida International, nowadays coached by that Butch Davis guy. The Canes had never lost to FIU until this weekend. That made that a worst of the week. They had never trailed in a game against FIU, and they lost 30-24 to to their Crosstown rivals this weekend. 1-800-849-2761. Right back to your calls. Best and worst of the weekend next on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody at another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown live in 10 minutes. More of your calls right now, best and worst of the weekend style. As we look forward to the NFL's Week 12 finale this evening, and it is a good one, 8-2 Baltimore led by the MVP candidate quarterback Lamar Jackson visiting the 6-4 L.A. Rams, who won the NFC last year, of course, played in the Super Bowl, and at 6-4 need to keep winning to remain relevant in the NFC playoff hunt this year. Monday Night Football, ESPN-style Baltimore at L.A. As we come to your calls, Sean and Raleigh will be next. James, Gary, Zach, and others want in as well. A lot of the best of the weekend included the NFL, starting with the New England Patriots. They eked past the Cowboys 13-9. They blocked a punt to set up that game's only touchdown. And under Brady and Belichick, the Patriots now have 17, this is a record of course, 17 straight regular seasons of 10 or more victories. I mean, they're 10-1. They got there quickly this time. That is about as good a stretch of almost two decades of football as you'll see in the history of the National Football League. They have now beaten the Eagles and the Cowboys, two good, not great, but good teams, back-to-back -back really without asking Tom Brady and the Patriots offense to do all that much at all. Their defense is that good, their special teams can be that good, and the offense is just en enough there when they need it. Patriots best of the weekend. The San Francisco 49ers have the other best record in the NFL. They're 10-1 now, folks, and regardless of any lingering skepticism you may have about Jimmy Garoppolo or their offense, they played an 8-2 Green Bay the team this weekend and not only beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, they beat them 37-8. It was a dismantling last night on Sunday night football as the 49ers have to be considered one of the favorites in the NFC, just as that list is led by the Patriots in the AFC. The Seattle Seahawks now 9-2 after going to Philly and beating the Eagles 17-9. MVP candidate Russell Wilson deserves a special shout-out as well, even as defense led the way in Philly. He is the first quarterback in NFL history with a winning record in each of his eight first, first eight seasons in the league. Former Wolfpack star, of course, Russell Wilson from the whole pack of Badgers. Sean and Raleigh, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Thank you, DJ. Hey, my best of the weekend was uh, absolutely Frank Gore surpassing Barry Sanders, number three all-time. Yeah, he's been uh, around forever, and he's good. Go ahead. It's not every day that uh, we see a, a back of his durability. And I, uh, my worst of the weekend was the officiating in the Dallas 
New England game. Uh, I, it's yet another game that the officials determine the outcome. Uh, I just, is it Delusion? irony yeah, that, that it's always a, a Patriot game with the questionable calls? Uh, I don't think so, but that's just my personal opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the phrase determine the outcome of the game, but I would say, for example, on the phantom offensive line tripping call, that's just a flat out missed call. Uh, did it determine the outcome of the game? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't think life typically works that way. Football is filled with truly thousands and thousands of little plays within dozens and dozens of actual snaps. And I don't know, winners find a way to overcome them, not every time, but over the longer haul. And I, I don't know, It's to me, if it's the last call of the game, every once in a while it feels like it's determining the outcome. But, wow, every game is going to involve bad calls. Uh, if you could study, do certain f- coaches, teams, franchises, players, get the benefit of the doubt of the bad calls, that would be interesting. Uh, and I know that is out there about the Patriots and other teams. I am not as willing to bite on such conspiracy theories without some evidence to back it up, but I absolutely agree that that was a horrible call, and it wasn't the only horrible call. And I'm certainly not a Dallas Cowboys fan, but I could see that that was a bad call, no doubt about it. How about the Panthers actually getting the rare reversed on review pass interference penalty? How about that? I mean, if you're Sean Payton and you're the guy who was the victim of that, against the Rams with your season on the line, which is why they changed the rule. And then after, what, 11 weeks of the regular season where they just wouldn't overturn any pass interference calls, hardly at all, you're on the field when the Panthers, at a crucial time, got that benefit of that doubt. That was shocking to me. And Sean Payton actually, I think, said after the game, yeah, it wasn't our best game, the Saints. Uh, I don't think the Panthers think it was their best game either with their miscues. And I promise you, it wasn't New York's best game either, meaning the guys who conduct those official reviews on pass interference under that new rule in this case. 1-800-849-2761. We will take more of your calls throughout hour number three, but on the other side, Mac Brown built a top 10 program in Chapel Hill during his first tenure as the head coach there. I mean, 11-win season, 10-win season, national top five finish, et cetera. He went to Texas and won a national title, among other accomplishments, with the Longhorns. Now he's back in Chapel Hill, and he told us back in August he wasn't talking rebuilding. He said these juniors and seniors deserve a bowl game, and the Tar Heels made it a goal to get there. Well, they're five and six as they head to rival NC State. Got to win to get to six and bowl eligibility. Mac Brown on the future. His star quarterback, Sam Howell. His win this weekend over Mercer and the big matchup against the Pack. That's next on the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. UNC coach Mac Brown has called an audible. He says he would rather we take more statewide phone calls for Best and Worst of the Weekend in his original time slot, which is now. He would rather join us in about 30 minutes. 
Hey, make sure Mac knows the game against the Wolfpack starts at 7 p.m. on Saturday at Carter Finley. I don't want the Tar Heels showing up at 7.30 or anything like that, you know? Just make sure he knows. Fortunately, we can audible here. Mac will be with us in 30 minutes. We're coming back to your phone calls now, and I got an interesting email during the break. DG, not sure this qualifies exactly as sports, but it is from the Harvard-Yale game this weekend, so I'm thinking that maybe that makes it eligible for my question. How would you respond if one of your children, credit, he knows that Anthony is my son and Avery is my daughter. How would you have responded if your child was a Harvard or Yale student and they told you that they were going to be protesting at the Harvard-Yale football game and possibly risking arrest along the way? Well, number one, I'd be really proud that my child was a Harvard or Yale student, just as a starting point. As we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. I love them and I'm proud of them as exactly as they are. One is in college at ECU. The other is a high school senior. Who knows where Avery will end up. But Yale, by the way, won and I think it's the oldest college football rivalry ever. They were playing their 136th game, Yale versus Harvard. Now, they're not at the FBS level, so you don't read and hear about them all that much, but it was a nationally televised game. It did go to overtime. It was a thriller, 50-43. to 43. Yale, I believe, clinched the Ivy League football championship. And in case you missed this part, as we come to your calls, 1-800-849-2761, NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, Carolina Hurricanes, heavyweight boxing, and other best and worst of the weekend, 1-800-849-2761. There were originally expected to be dozens of Harvard and Yale students protesting various social issues. I know some had climate change on their mind, others various human rights abuses in China and elsewhere. So they weren't all protesting the same exact thing, my understanding was. But dozens became hundreds, and the all-along plan was we're going to have a powwow like at the 50-yard line on the school logo at halftime and then just refuse to leave. Now, a lot of people who are social justice warriors take this approach and make it like a trade. Well, they're not going to take us seriously enough unless we do it at halftime of the Yale-Harvard game. We need the attention of our school leaders. We need the attention of our community leaders, et cetera. So they did it there and then for very purposeful reasons, knowing that they risked the repercussions. But assuming you're serious with your question, and Darren Vaught, as somebody who will spend Thanksgiving dinner with the Glenn family, Pumped about it. And comes to the house a lot, knows the kids, knows my wife, the lovely and talented Maria. You could probably answer this question, but I won't put you in that spot. You're, you're not a dad, best I know, best that you know. And you're certainly not Anthony and Avery's dad, although they do look up at you as a very cool uncle-like feature. I will figure. accept that. Happily, um, I'll accept the cool uncle-ish label. You can picture me asking me this. Can y'all convince me that you're actually educated on whatever issue you're protesting? <laughs> yes. Because your dad is probably a 9.9 .9 on a 10 scale when it comes to logic and reason and debate and such things. If you can't convince me that you know what you're talking about, you might still do it because you're over 18 years old. But guess what? Don't come crying to me if you get arrested. Don't ask for my legal assistance. Don't ask for my financial assistance. Bar number one is that you must prove to me you know what the heck you're talking about. And you might even be on the wrong side of an issue and not know it. But at the very least, you're going to convince me that you are educated. Number two, 
Have you investigated the potential repercussions within the law or the student code of conduct? I'm all in favor of changing the world, but I think even trailblazers are smart enough to say, all right, well, if we do this, we're risking that. Know what the student code says. Like, are you expelled forever? Are you blowing your chance to be a Harvard or Yale grad? What does this code of student conduct say? What do the local laws say? Is this a trespassing issue? Are you going to have a misdemeanor disorderly conduct charge lingering over you forever? I wouldn't say don't do it just because you risk arrest, by the way, to be clear. If you have educated yourself on the issue and you're that passionate about it, go ahead and do it, assuming you've read the possible repercussions. And then if you've passed all those other tests, you got to be willing to split the expense with dad. There's not going to be like some silver spoon where my daddy will pay for everything. Yeah, I'm going to hang out and maybe get arrested and maybe spend some time in jail. But dad will pay the fine at school and dad will pay the community service or whatever. No, no. If, if you want skin in the game, all right, dad will back up your desire to change the world, and I'll split it with you. Maybe I'll even pay 75% because I've been earning for 30-plus years, and you all have only had summer jobs and such. But you're going to have to pass. I don't know if that was a three-part test there. You're, you're going to get your dad's green light if you pass the three-part test. If you fall short, you're on your own. I'll still love you. But that's the way the real world works. 1-800-849-2761. The Harvard and Yale students, of course, as you could have guessed, got some best of the weekend votes and some worst of the weekend votes. The way these things usually go, if you agreed with the points of their, of their protest, you'd defend them. And if you disagreed with the points of their protest, you're against them. Uh, not everybody looks at the world that way, but from Colin Kaepernick to a thousand other examples we've had in the sports world, most of the time, those who complain about the distraction are usually really just mad at the person making a point that they disagree with. 1-800-849-2761. Gary and Wilson, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Uh, good afternoon, DP. Good afternoon. A great show. My worst of the weekend, you've already covered, so I will not pile on. However, football is a game determined by the foot many times. Look at that. So the best of the weekend is going to be Nick Skiba, the place kicker from Wake Forest, for breaking the NCAA consecutive field goal record with his when it, with his field goals uh, and converted extra points against Duke on Saturday and being an example of the consistent kicker who makes a difference because of his stable performance. Well done. And his records, his numbers are off the charts. I don't know exactly how he's viewed as an NFL kicker, uh, but he has been phenomenal for Wake Forest. And wasn't it kind of symbolic that on Sunday, the guy who kicks for the Saints, I, I think is a top five kicker in the NFL. Will Lutz set the franchise record with 26 consecutive field goals last year. When they needed him against the Rams in the game the Saints eventually, of course, lost controversially, he made all three of those attempts last year. 28 for 30 on the season. Saints need the game winner against the Panthers at the end. They get it. Deeks need those field goals and extra points against Duke this weekend and a lot of others. They played, uh, Wake played some close games this year. They got them. 
So I'm with you on Nick Skiba as a big-time college kicker. Sure enough, when Joey Sly, Gary didn't even mention his name as the best of the weekend because he didn't want to pile on. Joey Sly, two missed PATs, a missed 28-yard field goal with less than two minutes to go. The odds by NFL kicker standards of missing all three of those kicks, one in more than 50,000. That's how rare that debacle was yesterday as the Panthers fell short in New Orleans. Final score, 34-31. Will Lutz converts from 33 yards as time expires. And Joey Sly had just the worst game, certainly of his professional life, maybe of his entire kicking career dating back to Virginia Tech and before that. It was indoors, remember, with the season kind of on the line. Yes, there were some tricky circumstances, including a Saint jumping into his line, his field goal line. Again, it's on the kicker to put the ball through the uprights. If that guy blocked it, it'd be one thing. He missed two PATs, pushed right, wide right, and then missed the 28-yarder. Still can't believe that part of that loss happened. A lot of folks expected the Panthers to lose at New Orleans. But if I told you Kyle Allen was going to play great at quarterback, Christian McCaffrey was going to be phenomenal again as a wideout, DJ Moore was going to catch two touchdown passes and go for 100-plus yards, Greg Olson was going to have his usually solid game, the offensive line would hang together good enough, Trey Boston would pick off Drew Brees, Eric Reed would have 15 tackles and a crucial fourth down stop, turning the ball over on downs and putting the Panthers in great field goal position at a key point in that game. If I told you all those things were going to happen, you'd have told me the Panthers were going to win. And yet, where are they? In losses to the Packers this year, the Falcons recently, and even the Buccaneers at the beginning of the season, the offense was bad. One of those was with Cam being bad. The others with Kyle Allen being bad. The other three losses, 49ers, Saints, and Rams, I'd argue that the defense was bad. The Panthers' offense was plenty good enough to win yesterday in New Orleans. The Panthers' special teams melted down through Joey Sly and even some other plays. Rashawn Golden's not even a member of the team because of his miscues and mental mistakes. Joey Sly is, for now, still a member of the team. But two of the three phases of the game let down the Panthers. You're not going to beat a 9-2 and two New Orleans team on their home field when the defense gives up six yards per carry and the special teams just completely melt down the way they did with Joey Sly and Rashawn Golden. The Panthers are a good team. They're a decent team is a better way to put it. They're not one of the bottom 10 teams in the league. They're certainly not one of the top 10 teams in the league. They're just right there in the middle. They have a roster that needs tweaking and some big decisions, obviously, at quarterback and elsewhere. But they're not the dregs. Mac Brown in 20 minutes. Your calls too. Next. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four <laughs> ties, not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.